Hello, this is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Now, last week I mentioned I was writing the pilot script for Wasteworld. Well, I finished draft one, and now I'm getting some writer friends to look it through, which I find very nerve-wracking because I don't feel like writing scripts is my strong suit, and I'm putting my heart on the line, and I hope they like it, but also I just want really honest, brutal, good feedback too. So that's my update on Wasteworld. Thanks for listening to me about that. Today I'm chatting with an amazing stop-motion animator from the UK named James Kerr. And in our chat, he's going to share the story of how he dropped out of university to create Corrupt Animation, his own stop-motion studio, which he has been running for well over 20 years now, which I think is incredible. He's worked with clients like Paw Patrol, Caillou, Teletubbies, Polly Pocket, and so many more. And his story is one of perseverance, incredible luck, and a dash of misfortune. So I really hope you enjoy this chat and check out some of James's work. But first, this episode is sponsored by Hue, makers of colorful, affordable USB cameras and animation software for creative teaching, work, and play. Available from HueHD.com and Amazon, the new HueHD Pro cameras feature 1080p image and video resolution, a built-in microphone, and LED lights. Hue's funky, flexible, plug-and-play cameras are easy to use, and they are compatible with any apps that recognize USB cameras, including Discord, Dragonframe, OBS, Twitch, Google Meet, Zoom, and many more. Visit HueHD.com for more information, and follow at HueCameras on Instagram or Twitter for news, freebies, and giveaways. Now, without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, James. How are you doing? Hello. How's it going? I'm very well. I'm not too bad. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're chatting from halfway across the, the world, which is crazy to me. I love meeting like people in Toronto and the States in the animation industry, but I absolutely also love meeting people from other countries. So you're in the UK. Um, tell me what you're currently doing and, and uh, what's kind of what you're working on right now. Well, essentially, so I, uh, we're based in the north of England. Uh, you know, many people watching the podcast are probably aware. Uh, so hotbeds for stop motion animation tend to be uh, Canada, obviously, uh, a little bit in the West Coast America. And then there's the UK. And in the UK, it tends to be places like Bristol for, say, Ardman Animation. Uh, you've got uh, McKinnon and Saunders and companies like Factory in Manchester and partly in Cardiff as well, companies over there. Uh, and then, you know, that that the bedrock really of the industry lies in South Yorkshire at Crooked Animation, um, where we are. So uh, we're just a small team of four, um, but we kind of sat outside of everyone else slightly. We're our, our own little thing. Um, and we kind of, at the moment, we're doing some stuff for the BBC. We've got two projects for the Beeb. Uh, we've got another uh, project hopefully coming in in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we kind of, you know, as as always, as most motion animators are aware, it's a bit like the ocean, it's up and down. Yeah. Uh, so we've kind of had some big peaks and then some quiet bits and big peaks, and we're just coming off the back of a quiet bit. We're picking up again now. So oh, we're nice. kind of gearing up for um, a sort of big production for the next six months with another side production and then another project. And then then you kind of go from, you go from the point of, um, you know, slightly concerned about this, we need to keep the machine going. We need to find those new projects to, there's too much. It needs to slow down. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's too much. Um, so you've been in business or corrupt animation for 20 years now, and you have four employees, including <laughs> yourself. Oh no, don't cry. <laughs> you the ring, the crow's feet. Oh, oh <laughs> don't crow's feet either. Um, so you you said you have four employees. That's including yourself. That's including myself, and that's that will so. Uh, you know, as standard, we tend to have three or four. Uh, sometimes it might be two, other times we've had 15. 
20. So it really bounces around just according to what commissions come in. So, so, so who um, are these four employees? You're, there's you, the business owner slash producer slash former animator. <laughs> well, one thing about us is I'm kind of quite keen that everybody in the company can do a little bit of everything, which kind of makes us different again from the bigger companies. So there's myself, uh, there's Emma, uh, which has got Sophie uh, and George as well. So they, we kind of, everybody has their strengths in the business uh, and I'm kind of the guy who can jump in and sort of, you know, I do a little bit of editing. I do a lot, you know, not often these days, but occasionally I do a little bit of animation. Um, yeah. And then, you know, even script writing, um, definitely don't do voice work. Uh, we'll definitely find out professionals, um, you know, animatics, um, whatever it might be really, even sound design. So everybody's kind of glued, glued into every section of production, the whole production process, which means we're quite fluid in what we do and people can bounce from one position to another, which is, you know, it's interesting because it means um, people have an understanding of every section of the process and understand that what they do in one particular role, how that will impact on other sections of production. And that means we can be quite fluid and quick in how we turn things over. I mean, it's, what I tend to say is um, it's not the most uh, maybe complimentary way you'd maybe say of describing the business. But um, so I don't know how supermarkets are in Canada, but in the UK, we have kind of there's a hierarchy of your supermarkets at the top end you have like a waitrose which is the, the very you know if you've got cash you go to waitrose and get your nice fruits and veg and really nice cuts of meat and then it works its way down to you know sainsbury's or tesco's or astra and then you, you kind of move down to places called like aldi and little which is kind of like you know where where i go <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing about aldi and little is you, you do get you know good value for money uh it doesn't cost very much but you get quite a big a lot of bang for your book, as it were. So that's yeah. how I describe we're the Aldi of stop motion animation. Uh, it's with a low budget kind of people. We don't do multi million pound projects with, you know, um, Netflix or anything like that. But we do the sort of smaller commissions uh, at the bottom end where we can kind of, you know, you'll get a lot, a lot of value for. I always say we kind of can get you ninety percent of the value of say, dare I say, Hardman or something like that, for ten percent of the cost. So they're getting so people are coming to you for like hand tailored, uh, working closely with getting a lot of bang for their buck when they don't have a big budget. That's cool. Do you work only in stop motion, like like stop motion exclusively? Like is that as a yeah? Pretty much, yeah. Essentially, ninety percent of it is stop motion. Um, do, you ever, do you ever feel like that limits, like as a business owner, do you ever feel that limits kind of the projects you can take on? Like why not? also do 2d or dive into 3d or even live action we can't well we've found over time we are kind of moving they're sending me more sort of mixed media projects now and it is uh we've done a lot of projects recently they've involved a lot more live action and they have brought in elements of 2d and with there is we do have one or two clients who come to us with regular 2d work uh, which is basic kind of stuff because we don't really specialize in 2d but in terms of the live action we're much improved and we tend to you know we do work in coordinate coordinate with you know, live action crews and we're going to have 2d animators and sfx artists we can bring in to help out um which is good but essentially our niche has always been that we are you know a specialist stop motion studio and our niche is that we can work on tight budgets in very short spaces of time because yeah. as we're all aware it can take a long time but the way we call it sort of um put our projects together and our, that unique production process we have uh for development all the way through to execution is um it means we can do things on a compressed space of time. And so, you know, we will often have, we haven't had any this year, but usually uh, sort of around October, clients tend to come to us and say, you know, we, we'd love like um, 
a Christmas advert and was like, you know, cool, it's a little bit late in the year, but we could, we, <laughs> other companies probably couldn't do that, but we can do that for you. It's sort of one month yeah. turnaround. And then they sort of say, um, we'll say, well, do you have any idea of what you want exactly? Any sort of outline or anything? And they, they send to say something like, they'll, they'll give you this proposal. It's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's like crazy. Yeah. And this thing like we have in the UK, there's the John Lewis Christmas advert, which is the thing that everybody looks forward to. So the companies come along and say, we'd love a John Lewis advert. And you have to explain to them, John Lewis probably spent five million pounds and have had one year's production and had a oh no people <laughs> like, like i want this in yeah. one month <laughs> you've got one month and eight thousand pounds it's not going to happen <laughs> oh my goodness oh, we so, can, yeah. i'm wondering like you know what kind of so you've been working at this for 20 years how uh and and you've like developed your niche for like a big bang for your buck if it's a and for small projects like what kind of small projects are you getting are, is it like commercials because i'm wondering because Lately, you know, social media has really taken off where it's like every brand is making like uh, very short, small budgeted things for their like Instagram or like Facebook yeah. or whatever. Is that a big part of what's come to your studio as well? It's just a total mix at our end, really. I mean, a lot of work is commission work where people will come to us and say, you know, we, need to, we still kind of do series work. Uh, mm. So the thing we've just started at the minute is a short series uh, from uh, well, not a new client, but a fairly big client. Um, but then, you know, other things will be music videos, there'll be uh, little interstitials, stuff like, you know, we did the sci-fi channel a while back. Um, and just, you know, it's, 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 it's a total mixed bag, really. And that's kind of what's interesting about it. We'll cover everything. Um, you know, we won't, we won't cut ourselves off from anything, but we, oh. it is interesting. Sorry. Yeah. How are you getting, how are these clients finding you? Are you getting these clients? Like, what is the most successful way you've been able to grow your client base? So it's a 50-50 mix of, uh, well, a mix of uh, word of mouth from clients who deal with other clients when put us in touch with us, uh, as pitching for work, um, and it's just finding work, you know, sort of, we have a database, kind of get in touch and say, hello. Uh, and they're like, cool. so just cold emailing. And there are, we, we, we do have people who kind of, um, you could say they're agents in a way. Um, so they kind of work for us in that capacity, and they're kind of, um not just in the UK, but in the States and that, and they'll kind of, you know, call up and say, I think I've, you know, I think I've got a bite over here. So yeah. uh, I'll jump online and see where it goes from that really. So, so, okay. You obviously didn't start off with, uh, you know, 20 years experience and full <laughs> four-time full paid, full-time paid employees. <laughs> so can you, can you wind it back and tell me, you know, how did you get into this in the first place? Because I also know you didn't have any formalized schooling in animation or anything. You just like woke up one day and you're like, stop motion's my thing. And uh, if I were to look in the future, I have a stop motion studio that makes commercials. Like, how, tell me where it started. How do I get started? <laughs> I mean, it was um, essential. I mean, for me, I was sort of back in secondary school in the UK and um, I kind of knew I wasn't going to do, I couldn't do a desk job. It just wasn't going to be my thing from the way I'd grown up. I needed to do something kind of creative. I was always exactly what that would be. I didn't know, but it had to be something that would, I could just challenge myself. And, uh, I couldn't, I knew I wasn't going to be a teacher. I was desperate to get out of school. Um, but what exactly I was going to do, I wasn't quite sure. So, so my logic at that time in my life, when you're sort of 18 and just don't really have any life experience and don't know what you're doing was, um, we we're doing our A-levels at school. And uh, when you do your A-levels, you sort of halfway through, they give you this big sort of like a telephone directory thickness, this huge book called the ACAS book, or the, sorry, the UCAS book, which is like 
all the university courses and they say, you know, in order to train for the school to try and get as many kids to go to university as possible, like there's the book, choose what you want to do. So you're kind of flicking through this giant folder, you know, huge book of like uh, all these different courses. Yeah. You haven't got a clue what you want to do. So uh, my logic was that when we were doing our A-levels, me and a couple of friends, I happened to live very close to the school I went to. So me and two of my best friends, we would go home to my place at lunch because we knew we could get a better lunch from my mum than we could from the school. So we get a lunch from mum and then we would sit and I had like these Bugs Bunny VHS tapes and Wally e. Coyote and whatever, and Daffy Duck. So we'd 18 or 19 year old just flick Bugs Bunny on and sit there eating bacon sandwiches. And then my logic there going back to school and looking through the UCAS book was like, oh, well, there's an animation course here. So those cartoons look kind of cool. So maybe yeah. I should do that. So I kind of signed up to uni, um, got into uni. Um, that was kind of a miracle. I kind of got into uni and then I realized as I got accepted onto one or two courses that they, what they tend to prefer is if you do what's called a foundation course, which is sort of a one year um, creative course before you, you yeah, yeah, totally. properly. So uh, I did a foundation course in Doncaster with another friend of mine and um, then applied again and got a few options of where I wanted to go. And I, again, your theory at that time in life is maybe uh, not the best by I got selected to go to Northumbria or Newcastle. Um, and I basically went there because it's a party town and it really looked like it was going to be lots of fun. Um, and that's what I did. So I did, I signed up to do that for three years. But in those days, compared to how it is now, and this is, I often get invited into universities to lecture and things. Uh, and a lot of students say, I love to kind of do what you do. How do I do it? And I think it's quite tragic because it's just a different situation now to how it was. But back in my day, I kind of considered, um, you know, you, you got this, Nowadays, the students have like um, student loans to pay. So you have to borrow, I think it's like £9,000 a year or something to go to uni. Um, back in my day, they actually gave me some money to go to uni, uh, like a grant money. So they um, I had two years worth of grant money, which I didn't use at uni. And the thing was, when I went to uni, I, I knew straight away the course wasn't, <laughs> I kind of put this politely, um, it wasn't the best course in the world, shall we say. Yeah. I didn't really mind too much because I wasn't there for the university part I was there for the social side of things so uh, I had some fun and then um, I was born with like a heart condition so um, it was always the doctors always thought it would just go away by itself but when I, was, I got into my late teens the doctor said you know you're going to have to come in for heart surgery at some point so uh, I was getting toward I was halfway through my second year and they phoned up and said we need you to come in for your surgery now so um, I basically said to the university can I defer for a year just to have my heart surgery and recover I'll come back and do my third year um, and then finish up. So I, they said, yes, obviously. And then I, I, I left, I deferred, I took my year deferment knowing that I was never ever going to go back for my third year. Um, so what I did was I had my heart surgery recovered and then I used the money from the first two years, the student grant I got to start the business. And naively, Is that, that allowed? <laughs> don't, they, <laughs> yeah. don't they look into it and they're like, you have to use this money for a specific thing? No, nope, they just gave you the money. It was there to help you live or to so, do whatever. So you went and had heart surgery and you're like, this is a great opportunity. I don't want to go back to school. I'm going to start my own animation business after having all this fun. So you, so that money paid for like a camera and like space? I was, it was in my last how did, you, how did you get your first client? Like you had, did you have any experience animating at this point? No, I didn't learn much in university. But what I did was on the last day of my second year, which was obviously going to be my last day full stop, was I noted down all the equipment that was available for the animators. So I wrote down all the numbers and that. And then after I'd recovered from my surgery, I could find the companies 
um, fun what buy the equipment in. Um, right. And I was lucky enough that my mom and dad had a spare bedroom in their house. So I basically just, you know, took over the spare bedroom, basically. And I, you sort of naively think of that age with no experience, no yeah, context, no clients, no understanding of how But to I feel it. like you need some naivety to start something like this in the first place. Okay, so you uh, went to university, quit because of your heart surgery, and then used the grant money to buy all the equipment you saw the animation uh, students had. And then you used the spare bedroom, put all the equipment in there, and then suddenly... You had a client like where, how did you get your first client how did you animate your first thing like you didn't even have animation experience you said no so i just i kind of knew a little bit i picked up from uni but i essentially kind of just had to teach myself and that's what i did for the first two or three months was just essentially like a crash mm. course and you know what, what the hell am i doing um but you you, did, then, you didn't even you didn't even try to get a client you're just like i need to learn this so that somebody if they pay me it was, yeah, so I knew at that stage, and this is, again, like you say, naivety is a really good thing. It's scary. It's, the older you get, the scarier it gets. But you realize that was the thing that kind of made you at that point in time um, was the fact that, like, I, I, you know, you're brave enough to do that. You don't have many commitments in life, so you can, you can take that chance and do it. Um, and I just was watching TV and, you know, sat naively sort of think, well, you know, I, I'm sure I could do that. I could do much better items than those people and no they don't know what they're doing i could do that so i just started making stuff i just started making stuff on my own back and i i made some ident for mtv um just you know an idea off the cuff um printed out loads of vhs tapes and like carpet bombed mtv in camden town with these tapes and um it was just that incredible stroke of luck apparently most people hated them but um one person who's like the vice president saw them and said you know let's get this kid in. I really like his stuff. Um, oh, wow. So the call was made and then they asked me to make, I made nine, nine animated highlights from there. Oh, and wow. And sort of spiraled. So um, it's crazy. So, you know. So that's so interesting. So you carpet bombed, you're real. Everybody hated it. And it just took one person saying yes, which makes sense, especially when you're starting out. So, you know, looking back to that, which I guess was 20 years ago to now, what has been the hardest thing to keep this company going? And what has been the easiest thing to keep this company going? Cause it, like you said, perseverance, obviously like you have a very passionate drive inside you. So what, what has been the hardest thing or challenge over the years to just, you know, run your own business? I think probably, that motion? The, probably the hardest part was making the transition from when you work. Cause for 10 years, I was pretty much independent. It was just me. Um, and then you get to the point where you can start to bring people on. The, the two part, the two difficult parts there. The first part was, you know, getting to a point where the thing can sustain itself and not just you, yeah. but other people. So were you still in your parents' bedroom after 10 years? No, at this point, we kind of, <laughs> I think mom and dad, had, I was long gone by then. Um, so I so basically yeah, at some had, point you made enough money to like move out, have your own place, find your own and maintain your own studio. And like, that's, that's pretty incredible. It was tough going, but well, that was one of the difficult parts as well. I got to the point where, you know, I had a, I was renting a house and you had your council tax to pay. And then you had, I was renting an industrial space and I had business rates to pay. And, the, you know, the, the whole process of the finance was everybody else gets paid and you're the last in the line to get paid and trying to maintain that outflow of cash. You know, that money's got to come in to replace the cash going out. It is hard work. It's exhausting. Um, so you, you kind of, have, you, in some ways you get forced to step up because, you know, you, you can, I could do, I could, I could do that when I was 25, 26, 27, 28. Um, I don't think I can necessarily do that again at the age I am now. Um, so yeah, that was the tough part was moving away from that to a point where uh, other people could come in 
and the other part as well, I think of being an animator, like we're all natural control freaks. We'll kind of have our own way of doing stuff. And then when someone else comes in doing stuff, you you sort of stood over the shoulder going, oh, you're going to do it like that, are you? Do you might do you not want to do it like that? And it's like, yeah. you know, most annoying thing in the world. But, um, but yeah, so you have to let people do their own thing and do it there, you know, give them some direction about how it should work. But ultimately everyone's got their own style and their own method and you kind of have to work around them and let them do their thing. Uh, and you just learn to manage the thing. And that's where I kind of came away from the animation. And, um, you know, I kind of let people, you know, if I get on the animation floor now, I'm almost a bit sort of like a fish out of water. Like, what's, what's everyone doing again? How do you, oh, right, that's good. Show me how you do that. <laughs> Right. So I'm also curious why you've decided um, to, to maintain this niche of yours. Like you mentioned, you know, if a, if a client wants like a $5 million production for Netflix, that's not you. Is there something, you know, uh, that you're working towards or um, is there a reason that you've chosen this, this niche, but this niche specifically? Um, we, I mean, we are always in the long run. We'll always look to always have an hour. We'd love to have our own show. I think every studio, kind of goes in that direction um and in the past going back to sort of the the whole thing about the mtv thing i again it was a, a, some incredible good fortune it was the mtv thing and then a, it was a bit of work with itv and then incredibly i happened to meet a commissioner with one of the terrestrial broadcasters in the uk uh who again just seemed to like my attitude um saw my pictures and said that you know so much a big pitch i've done and he said you know no 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 that's that's terrible but the other idea, the thing that was on the back of the envelope, that looks interesting. So let's go with that. So uh, he kind of, you know, threw a total curveball and been my big idea for world domination and took the tiny little idea, which I hadn't had any sort of time thinking about. And then he sort of gave me some money to make a, my own show on terrestrial TV in the UK. So and I didn't realize how lucky I was at that stage to be sort of 24, 25, making a TV show broadcast on national TV. Yeah, that's incredible. So, and making the whole thing yourself is a crazy thing. So, you, you know, you're doing the sound, you're doing the voice records, you're doing the, um, the editing, you're doing the special effects, you're doing the puppets, you're doing the animation. But, you know, that gets tiring. And that's when it got to the point when you're doing that at 29.30. And I remember, um, you know, going on to the thing about you sort of, you know, you've got the house and the rent and the industrial unit and the business rates and all the costings. And I remember... I got to the point as well where I came out of a big industrial unit and started renting a big house instead. So I was like living on my own in this huge five bedroom house with this huge garage. And the reason I did it was because I could run the business out of the garage. So I literally stripped the garage and just set up the studio in there. Um, but I remember working so late into the night, just trying to do everything myself and my back was killing me. I was in agony. Um, and just thinking, you know, I can't keep doing this. But every time they kept turning around and saying, can you do series four? Can you do series five? Um, and you didn't want to say no, because you don't want to turn down the work. So um, we kept doing that, but always in the back of my mind where we are now, fast forward to now is um, we're always thinking about maybe that's the next step now is to move up to our, our own series hmm. in some way. There's a few ideas there, but, um, you know, we've, we've, there's a few things we've got we're pushing for um we'll wait and see but he says the, the thing the problem at the minute is probably the distraction between the, the everyday work which you know keeps food on the table and keeps everyone in work and then yeah. trying to take time out to develop that other stuff right you know um but we've got one or two you know fingers in pies which hopefully fingers crossed 
Well, fing- yeah, fingers crossed. I'm wondering, you know, you already successfully pitched and ran a show on national TV. What is the biggest thing you learned from doing that, that you're going to infuse into this next pitch to make it a success and get it picked up? Uh, <laughs> you, thing you also learned... said the thing that you put all your heart into failed and they didn't want it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was, oh, sorry, I got pop up here. Um, yeah, so I mean, the, I mean, the industry for a long time, it was very difficult, uh, maybe, I'd say five off the back of the series work I did independently. And then we moved into more sort of commercial work and people came on board and we were trying to get our own series at that stage. It was very difficult at that point in the UK because essentially the, the only, you know, the only client in town, the only party in town for your own kids TV show was the BBC and that there wasn't anyone else. So channel five had stopped commissioning altogether. ITV had kind of stepped out of the game. And after that, that was just the BBC and the BBC, um, basically stuck with, you know, two or three big studios um, to produce that work, which are sort of their regular studios to go to. They weren't technically in-house, but, you know, in essence, they were were in-house studios. Um, Now it's kind of opened up with the whole digital thing. It's so much easier now. There's so many more people to go to. Uh, But I think, again, it's about, uh, if you're pitching work now, it's about not just the quality of the idea, but showing people, hey, you have the capacity to do it. Yeah, I was just thinking, because like, there's one thing to say, like, here's a pitch. And they're like, great, thank you. And then they hand it off to their own production teams. But you're like, no, 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 we, we can make that too. So you're not only pitching your idea, but you're pitching your studio as well. It's like, they have to go hand in hand, I guess, right? I say the tricky thing is that we've found in the past, and this is where we've tripped up in the past slightly, that, you know, we are sort of the, the Aldi of some motion animation in the UK. So what we would like to think is we can offer great value for money. Um, that didn't necessarily always apply in the past because clients are more inclined to sort of think along the lines of they'd rather pay what we would say is over the odds um, for the security as against getting that cost saving, but then going with somebody new. Um, I think that's getting slightly easier now. It's still there to a degree, and we've noticed even with the new players in the game, it's, there's still um, an issue around uh, commissioners and that. You know, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. And if you're in their shoes, is they want to know it's going to turn up on time and on budget. Um, the alternative is they pay out a much smaller budget, but then there's the concern is that maybe the quality isn't there and it's not there on time or they have to put more money, you know, the money runs out and they have to put more money in, which makes them look bad. So in essence, in some ways, you can kind of see that point of view of sticking with the norm. But we've always found that the clients we work to like with, like to work with the best, are the ones that are the risk takers and take the chance and they get the rewards because they're the ones that can turn around and say, we got this show for this price. Look at it, it's brilliant. But that's, so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that commissioner who's brave enough to say, go on then, here's, and they don't have to throw in, you know, they don't have to put in millions of pounds, but if they put in a few hundred thousand, um, we're confident we come back with something pretty kick-ass. Um, yeah. And totally. you know, so, um, how long do you think it'll take to find somebody <laughs> like this? <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, I'm 22 years. Call me back in. What's that? Yeah. Before? <laughs> I don't know. Well, so I'm curious. Like I don't know. You, you seem to have a good uh, grasp on the in the industry. Uh, over where you are and and obviously you've been doing this for a while and you have a lot of contacts like you know um I don't know are you are you like is this like something that you're trying to make happen no matter what or it's more like 
uh, we're keeping business as usual. And if the opportunity comes up, we'll adjust. We're, that, I think that's the difficulty at the minute is a balance between the two. I'm, I'm confident it will come along at some point because I think it's just smart business. Uh, I think for, you know, for a broadcaster or, uh, and it is, you know, the cost points are getting much lower these days. Um, it's so much easier. I mean, when I started a low, um, you know, I mean, the, the sort of equipment you had to buy uh, when you first started out was, wasn't cheap. Uh, whereas these days, like I say, I go to universities and students say, you know, um, what do I need to buy? And I'm like, well, if you, you know, the, the sad part is you're spending 9,000 pounds a year on your course, you could probably for 5,000 pounds get a really nice studio, to be honest. Um, yeah, exactly. So this is, that's the tricky thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just, I'm just putting an idea together and having a proper, you know, Bible and a one sheet and a pitch and getting your sales hat on and go out there and sell yourself on your studio and your idea and see what happens from there. But um, the other thing as well is that, you know, there's still an issue around slots for if you have the BBC or Netflix yeah. or something like that, it's probably going to be the case of that you want 52 times seven. Um, I think, I think there must be room somewhere in the industry now for someone to say, you know, commissioners who can turn around and say, rather than pumping that much money into a new project which could potentially tank uh we'd be better off say spending 12 times five uh that sort of budget and then you know to feed it in there and see if the because you, you know and this these days it's so much easier to keep track of how many people are watching when they're watching when they turn off when they turn back on again oh, have yeah. regular the view and then you can sort of make a you know a, a concise decision to then is say oh we'll go from 12 times five let's make it you know uh, 52 times 11 and just step it up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a commissioner. I'm a producer. Um, we'll see. I know I may be totally wrong. <laughs> Who knows? We'll find out, I guess, in 22 <laughs> years. Um, I'm wondering, you know, uh, in Canada and the U S stop motion and claymation specifically is like, I'd still say it's pretty in Canada, at least it's pretty rare. Like there's only one big studio. There's a couple, there's a handful of smaller studios and like stop motion and claymation is not something we see on TV and commercials like ever, except for Christmas time. Um, in the, in, you know, where you are, it seems like it's more ingrained in the culture because of like Wallace and Gromit and well, like Ardman championing, championing that. How much space is there for smaller studios like yourself to thrive just specifically on stop motion? Like, do you see a lot of competition for yourself or are you kind of like a unicorn thing? I guess, I guess we're a bit of a unicorn really. But I mean, essentially it's, yeah, I think it's a breakdown of how you, you know, cause the term stop motion is obviously quite broad. So, um, cause I always think when, so you say to someone in the UK, uh, you say to most people, you say, you know, I'm a stop motion animator. They tend to think of Wallace and Gromit or more. I mean, you say that here, they don't even know what you're, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a problem overseas. Uh, so I, I, I was speaking to a contact about China, the Chinese market um, a couple of weeks ago. And they said, you know, we were trying to work our way into China. And they said, you know, to be honest, we just don't have stop motion in China at all. It's not going to work. It's dead. So it we kind of great because it'll stand out and everybody will be like, what is that? That's it. Terry, risk, you, should be, risk you should be a commissioner. You should yeah, be a commissioner. Exactly. But, um, but no, so in the UK, there's that sort of, you know, in Sports and Gromit or um, Morph. And so you, you kind of move along the lines of claymation then. I mean, claymation is, we do have done some claymations in the past. We do do claymation, but it's not just claymation. We do Lego, we do toy animations, we do uh, 
uh, cutout animations, um, you know, puppet animations. So there's quite a broad kind of reach. But I think in terms of pure claymation studio, uh, it can be done. But I think it's, you know, that's something we tend to stay clear of because it is, even for us who have fast turnaround times and, you know, low budgets, because we have fast turnaround times, when you deal with clay, it is a bit harder to condense those production times. It's messy and it's uh, hard to work with. And um, there are techniques to speed things up, but um, it's a technique which is quite tricky to kind of um, work with. But so if you're working solely in claymation, um, I guess it could be done. And it, I think it's a great visual style that is really underestimated. I think if people, I think maybe um, marketing agencies and that have a better ad inches have they're a bit more creative right there thinking and tend to work along those lines whereas in sort of broadcast and things it, it you know people play safe so um yeah i think it's, it's it's hard there's no doubt about it but i think if you so going back to your point about um just staying in the stop motion spaces you, you can branch out into 2d and 3d which is which is fine and you know i won't say we'll never do that uh if somebody came along and offered me seven million pounds 3D animated series for Netflix. Please, please, here's seven dollars. <laughs> it's the games. You're like, the, okay, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that Richard Branson method of business is where, like, um, you know, Netflix come along and say, James, will you make a CGI animated blockbuster for us on twenty five million pounds? And can you do that? I'd be like, yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> just uh, <go> <laughs> just, okay, so as you're um, saying this, I'm wondering, you know. You're a four-person four studio, mainly run by yourself. What happens when you get sick or decide to go on <laughs> vacation? Or, you know, you've just decided you've had enough. Like, does, does the company dissolve? Do you, like... As my wife knows, you never go on. Well, we do obviously go on holiday and you do get sick. Your wife is like, please, here's seven million pounds to go on vacation with me. And you're like, nah. She'd just go. She'd go without me. She'd happily go without me. But no, so that's the thing. You, there is always that pressure there when it's a small studio and you're kind of in charge is you can't really afford to be too sick and you can't afford to, yeah. you know, you can go on holiday, but you know, it's just the nature of the beast is you go on holiday. And I mean, we went away to uh, just on a staycation as the, in that term has cropped up over the past two years, a uh, staycation in the UK a while back. And uh, we're supposed to be on the holiday as a family. My phone is just ringing off the hook. And it's massively frustrating for my wife and my family. And you're trying to get that balance between trying to have your family time together, but you're trying to keep the whole machine going. So it is difficult. But um, like playing a timed it. game of chess, and every time it's your turn, you have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You sat just having a drink with friends in the pub, and it's like, oh, sorry, you got to go. Um, and that's just the, the nature of it. I mean, um, that sounds, I want my phone to be ringing off the hook with <laughs> clients being like, Terry, we just want you to work with you so bad. That sounds like a great problem to have, but also I totally. You know, it's, 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 no, no. What the clients are calling about is to, to make changes and say, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. the opposite. That's no, no, no. <laughs> kind of calls. It's like, you know, but, um, but yeah, so that's, and that's, you know, uh, that's the, the tough part of it, but. It's a job I absolutely love. Um, I've been doing it for this long. If and as we spoke about earlier, if it's something, yeah. um, if you don't like doing, I'm a, I'm a firm believer. If you don't like doing something, then you got to do something else. And I do this because I really do enjoy it, and uh, I really think, and we would really love at some point to do something, you know, a big show of our own, like every. every yeah. so, so let me ask you this: for the studio, the future is. Uh, you said you want to get into uh, series. But for yourself, like thinking back, you know, you were eating sandwiches at home, watching Bugs Bunny and being like, it would be cool to animate. 
Um, and then you went on to making your own series, becoming an animator, starting a business, and now you don't even animate, you're a producer. What's next for you personally in this career path you've chosen? In some ways, it's kind of because this is why I feel a bit like a fraud. Um, I'm aware I'm on a podcast talking to lots of stop motion animators, but I, you know, my, my passion is, has, isn't, I'm always in awe and having watched so many people in, you've interviewed in your podcast of how passionate they are about the actual art of stop motion animation, how patient they are and how just incredibly skilled they are. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I guess if, you know, if, <laughs> So the analogy, again, maybe going back to Aldi, if I was um, people out there who can make the most amazing burgers in the world and just make, you know, the best gourmet burger, I'm probably like Bob from Bob's Burgers. It's, you know, it's nice, it's good, it's not, you know, the best burger. So yeah, in terms of my animation. Shame in that, like you're doing what you, what you love, you have a business and you're creating some cool stuff. Like but my, my passion isn't necessarily the, the, the animation itself, it's yeah. the, it's the concept and the idea and coming up with the show and the choosing the voice artists and nice. the design and the set design. And that's kind of the cool thing about is my job is I don't have to, um, you know, sort of actually get on the shop floor and do the, you know, the frustration of rigs not working properly and, you know, um, you know, things tipping over and um, all that sort of stuff. I think it's interesting that you said that because do you think that goes hand in hand in almost the type of uh, the niche that you've developed where you're doing high turnover projects but all of them are completely different creatively yeah. and so do you think that is also why you've chosen this niche of kind of like uh smaller i mean i don't know if it's always last minute or low budget or whatever but the creativity that you can expend is much higher than working at one thing for quite a long time i think that's probably why we've ended up where we have because I, like i say i did those series back in the day for channel five and it was, you know, me on my own covering every aspect, which was great. But when you, I think I've done that for one project was like four years, basically. And then another one was three years and it was great and it's fun, but you are at a point where you're just churning out animation and there's no chance to sort of introduce anything in terms of like, uh, you know, you want to come up with a new concept, new characters and new storylines and things like that. And that kind of falls by the wayside as they deliver scripts to you and you just have to turn them into animation. So it's kind of cool this way in that we, you know, we, we can go to clients and say, okay, so here's your problem. I mean, a lot of times they will come to us and say, we specifically want this and that's fine. That's great. Um, but what we can do and what one of our niches is we can say, well, you know, that's good, but how about we think of maybe coming at it from this angle and maybe introduce this idea. And, uh, this yeah. one we're just doing for new clients at the minute is, um, it's been really fun to sort of, you know, just start building the sets today. And I just really buzzed to kind of see it coming together. Nice. There's a new character I came up with a few weeks ago uh, who looked really fun. I'm just looking for a voice artist at the minute. So that's the, that's the fun part for me now. Amazing. Um, I just would hate to be having to animate, you know, be the one man on the shop floor having to animate. Um, I think he's 28. Like I'll create the character, but I don't want to touch it. That's somebody <laughs> yeah. else. And then yeah. the person touching it is like, why did he design it like this? It's so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, well, yeah. James, we've chatted, you know, about your origin story, <laughs> how you've, <laughs> how you've gotten here, the types of work you're doing and what's next for you. Is there anything else that you think would be interesting to share? Uh, advice or anything like that and pursuing kind of a small animation studio path i would say for um you know the only advice i can sort of offer if, if my advice is worth anything is really 
Um, I think there's a lot of, is what I've really found over sort of the past 10, 12 years of bringing other people in and working with other people and, you know, getting up to crews of sort of 15, 20 was, it's been really amazing to see the talent and the creativity that's out there. I think it just needs unlocking. And I, I think it's quite frustrating that, um, especially in the broadcast space that, um, you know, when, I guess when large volumes of money get brought in, it's people have to start to play safe, but, uh, for the smaller people, like that, the smaller studios and the, people coming out fresh out of union that is you know you just got to be brave and go for him yeah do what do what i did just take a chance see what happens but the the one thing i would say is yeah it's not just about being great at animation and being passionate you got to have a little bit of a sales hat on as well and know how to to pitch yourself and i think um that's a key thing i see a lot of good talent out there but they, they kind of trip up at the points of like you know this you can see this beautiful idea yeah. and it's like they, they don't know they're kind of stuck they've made it and it's like what do i do now and it's like well you've got to picture and they're not quite okay. sure what to do but in, you know in terms of there's no book for how to pitch a show i know you can go on these courses and sign up to all these things at these conferences and say here's your here's how to do a an elevator pitch forget it you know just be brave have yeah. a you know a quick half a beer before you go and talk to someone and build all that confidence and just go for it I love uh, it. Be, be, be brave and go for it. it and that means like starting your own thing starting to animate pitching yourself putting yourself out there I love it. It's, that's uh, yeah. I need to I need to do that more often. Be brave and go for it because I feel like it's so easy to just get in a comfort zone and you know be scared of the unknown. And you know I feel like there's not always somebody pushing you to do something. You got to find that internally. So be it's brave the, and go for it. I love it. That sort of fear is when the bank account's creeping towards yeah. you. That's the best fear. <laughs> go flip some burgers then. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. James. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and get to know about, you know, the business you run, which I think it, corrupt animation sounds like it. it's it's like a nefarious kind of word, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a play on your name. So I love it. And it's and like you're, you're I, I think everybody should check out your work because you've you've done such a range of stuff. It's so cool to see like all the different types of projects you've worked on like tv stuff commercials and everything looks totally different so i think it's really cool thank you it's been absolutely i really enjoyed it. it's been a real pleasure and yeah. uh we'll do it again sometime if you want no problem so uh, great uh the next 10 episodes will be interviewed <laughs> <laughs> well th yeah thank you so much and if you're listening and you want to watch james's work or get in touch with him you can check out his website which is corruptanimation.co.uk or look him up on Instagram at corruptstopmo, and I'll include both those links in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.